welcome to your creativity. We're the podcast that keeps on doing whatever. Uh, 80 episodes in, I, I think we're secure in our position that we're, we're a thing. Do we have more than my mom as a listener now? I think so. Because I go places and people say, I heard that episode, I heard this, I heard that. I'm like, Were they just being polite? Poss- uh, is po- that like poss- at reunions and stuff? Possibly, yeah. Well, we have a <laughs> we have a guest host tonight too. Hey guys, what, or a day it could be day whenever people are listening to this. So who knows? Well, that's true. Thanks for having me on tonight. Today, Cat no Palmer, Hi. the Hi. amazing Cat Palmer. This is your third time on. It is. You're keeping track. I'm not keeping track. Well, there was your your episode, then Jason's, and now our guest, Pat Bagley. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How's the winter treating you? Well, if you look outside, we got the inversion going on, and that's kind of nasty. It is. The air's kind of crunchy. It's just <laughs> not, not healthy. You can taste it, and not in a good way. Okay, but if you don't taste it, and you're, and you're not thinking health-wise, it's kind of fairy ish I mean, <laughs> just, so, I mean, just think of that. It's kind of fairy ish except you have the nice gray haze all over your car the, the, the next dark, day. The dark kind. <laughs> a little bit. And it does make good sunsets. The advantage of really shitty air yeah. is it makes good sunsets. <laughs> Let's look at the bright side of poisonous air. <laughs> Welcome to Utah. We have amazing sunsets. The sunsets are incredible. Just don't breathe. Yeah, asthma patients are not so, welcome. So I, I work at the uh, gateway, right? My office faces north. And so usually I can see the oil refinery out there. It is so bad I cannot see the oil refinery. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's mm-hmm. pretty bad. That's mm-hmm. pretty bad. It's ironic. Yeah, and you just came out with a cartoon just this last week having to do with the air. Oh, yeah, it was uh, yesterday. And it was, uh, and I do the same kinds of cartoons all the time, like the stuff about the inversions and the stuff about the legislature. And, and so I try to keep it fresh. And the cartoon that I did yesterday was thinking, how do I make this different? And, you know, you just kind of let your mind wander. And I remembered Pigpen from Charlie Brown. So I thought, well, what if Pigpen, you know, wasn't Pigpen, but what if he was the inversion? You know, it wouldn't just be this little pile of stuff, you know, trailing after him. It would be the whole thing. So that that's the genesis of that, of that idea. It was quite clever. I liked it. So, well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for those of you, I guess, just tuning in and listening and, and, and listening to Pat Bagley, you are celebrating your 40th year with the Salt Lake Tribune. That's right. I started at the Salt Lake Tribune on October 31st, 1979. And so uh, it's been a little bit over 40 years now. And you are the satire cartoonist there at the... I am the longest continuously employed full-time editorial cartoonist in America. Holy Holy crap, that's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, When I started, there were maybe 200 cartoonists in America that had full-time jobs with newspapers. And now we're down to about 20. So how did we get so lucky to get you? Uh, luck. <laughs> it, was, it was all luck. I walked into the Tribune, and the first time I walked into the Tribune, I could not see the other side of the newsroom for all the cigarette smoke. It was that bad. You know, and in the middle of the newsroom, they had a cigarette machine. You could get camels for 30 cents, I think. You know? But everybody smoked, and it was a shock for somebody coming from BYU. You know, we usually got our smoke from Geneva Steel, but <laughs> 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 there it was right in the newsroom. 
So, so I was going somewhere with this. So I, I, I go in, I get interviewed, and they turn me down. And you know, I feel really bad about that. Do you um, remember who it was that turned you down? I do. Let's shame them. No. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's still alive. <laughs> um, but they turned me away. And then I got a call back, and they wanted to see me because the executive editor had heard that I'd come in, and he'd been feuding with this guy who you know, originally turned me down. And he, if anybody was going to crush somebody's dreams, it was going to be him. So it was in a fit of pique that I got hired because these guys are, you know, wrestling over who really controls the Tribune and who can say yes or no. And, and just by luck, by sheer luck, I got hired. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I realize that. <laughs> that is pretty incredible. And I learned something new at your the celebration, your 40th celebration, which was recently held at the Rose Wagner, your first published cartoon. I couldn't believe this. It was in Time Magazine? Yeah, again, you know, just sure luck. <laughs> that's that's pretty lucky. No, that's in- <laughs> and wild. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate just how lucky I've been. But the story on that is I was sitting in the uh, class at BYU, and the class was... Personal finance. You know, one of those things is supposed to be good for you. And I just found it really dull, really boring. And so right in the middle of my class notes, I was thinking about this issue at BYU, and they drew a cartoon illustrating the issue. And I thought, that's not bad, you know. I will take it down to the newspaper and show it to them, and maybe their cartoonist, Steve Benson, will do, you know, a, a version. And so I went down there and I showed them the cartoon. And Nelson Wadsworth, who was a student advisor, looked at it and he said, well, why don't, you know, go home and do a finished copy. And so I ran home, did a finished copy, and it came out the next day in the uh, Daily Universe. And seeing your stuff in a newspaper is pretty overwhelming, you know. It was, it was pretty heady stuff. And I thought, this is what I want to do. Um, and so they started running my stuff periodically. But about th- four or five weeks later... I go into uh, this graphics place where I'm working, and the secretary says, congratulations on getting your cartoon into Time Magazine. And I said, what? She goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was yours. So I have her describe it, and it sounds like mine. And I have to work, so I'm working there for six hours. And then I run to the store, and I look at the Time Magazine, and sure enough, there it is. So the very first political cartoon I ever did made it into Time Magazine. It's all downhill from there. It is all downhill like, so, from there. I mean, it's a, it was like kind of a letdown. It's like... I've had good you, moments, but not quite like that. You yeah. peaked at the very beginning. I, I peaked early. Yes, I did. Pretty wild. Uh-huh. Do, you, do you remember what the cartoon was? Yeah, it was... Um, the subject had to do with the Justice Department was suing BYU because they didn't... They wouldn't allow um, men and women in the same apartment building, Right? But, of course, the way that BYU spun it was they want to put us all in the same apartments, you know, men and women in the same apartments, co-ed apartments, which was not the issue at all. Uh, but I drew the cartoon, and it was Bella Abzug is being escorted by National Guard troops to this guy's apartment. And this guy is opening the door, and he sees her, and he says um, to his roommates, he says, uh, guys, our new roommate is here. And I, I don't know if you remember Bella Abzug. She was a feminist, and she was kind of loud, and she was flamboyant, and yeah. but she was uh, kind of an icon of feminism at the time. 
That's great. That would have been a good roommate for them. They probably needed that. Oh, they needed to learn, yeah. <laughs> that that could have been fun. Mm-hmm. I think that's fantastic. I love Broaden their horizons. I loved learning that about you that night. I think that's pretty fantastic. Okay, but you guys play poker together. Um, yes, we do. Okay, we do. so we do. So who usually wins? Oh, well, we have. <laughs> it's a pretty fluid group, and we have people who seem to be lucky all the time. Um, <laughs> Wait, I, cat, have you I'm, been I'm thinking on cats, these games. I I had beginner's luck when Pat taught me. So the funny story of how I learned is once upon a time I was dating a professor, and. They invited me to this professor's game, and I was quite nervous because I didn't know how to play poker. Oh. And and I thought, well, if I bring Pat, everyone will be excited that Pat's there, and they'll kind of ignore how lousy I am, right? And so it would kind of help my nerves. So I was, a, I was a cover. Oh, I was like, just ignore that I'm here. I always bring a buffer. <laughs> and so Pat taught me how to play that night. And we had fun, and mm-hmm. we drank that night, and Pat taught me how to play that night. And I made it to the winner's circle somehow. I don't even know how. I was. I got eliminated early on, right? And, <laughs> and the cat goes and almost I all go, the way. I, I don't even know how. <laughs> I, I was complete beginner's luck. You were distracted. These guys were all distracting you, Pat. <laughs> they were very, they were very enamored by Pat, you know. And so I think it helped me. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I'm not that good. I mean. That night I was just lucky. So, but he taught me how to play. You only have to be lucky. But sometimes. it's fun. I think it's just fun to drink and play cards with your friends. Well, and it's a good group, and it's not the money, right? It's not. It's really just the fun. It's being with those people. It's just fun because they're interesting people, and the conversation just kind of sparkles, and, and we laugh a lot, and it's great. It's just fun. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Okay, so Pat, you meet amazing people. Like, but what are maybe some of the most interesting characters that you've created or that you've met? And then drawn about, like, what, do you have a memorable experience? Oh yeah, this was of good and bad. Uh, this is a little horrifying, I guess. Uh, lately, every year I go to a cartoon salon in France, which is a cartoon get together of cartoonists from all over the world. Wait, you even went there after there was a big shooting at one of those offices. Okay, so I remember that. So I went to oh, what was the year twenty. 13. I'm really bad with years. It's okay, yeah. Anyway, so I go there and I meet all these cartoonists and it's all new to me. And uh, this guy who's kind of showing me around introduces me to these guys who are cartoonists for this failing humor magazine. And I don't know anything about it. And then he shows me the magazine and I go, well, this is, you know, French have got a different kind of sensibility about, you know, about cartoons. Uh, a lot of nudity, a lot of pretty crude humor. But that was the whole point. You know, they wanted to push the bounds of good taste. Um, and he mentioned this magazine. It was called Charlie Hebdo. So I, met, I figured out three of the five. And it was just four months later that the terrorist broke into Charlie, terrorists broke into Charlie Hebdo and murdered five cartoonists. And these people that I just met were, uh, were some of those. Um, so that, that made a big impression on me. You know, when I do cartoons, uh, I don't get death threats usually. <laughs> um, but if you do it in other parts of the world, like South America, uh, the Middle East especially, even in Europe, um, they take it very seriously. 
Yeah, that's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, things are kind of getting a little scary here too. Uh, Do you see that happening again? Like, as far as like just the attitude or the extremes, the polarized. Well, cartoonists are constantly being jailed and harassed in other parts of the world. Uh, there's a cartoonist called Musa Kart from Turkey who uh, was thrown in prison, then he was let go, then he went to trial, and he was tossed back in prison. Uh, and then he got let go again about a week ago. Um, but a great cartoonist. And this is Turkey, which is supposed to be kind of semi-democratic. Uh, but things are kind of taking a dark turn here. What are your views on that about like this native uh, attitude of like us, 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 and screw everybody else? Oh, nationalism. Yeah. Oh, it's just like it is just like Europe in the 1930s. Um, democracy was on the ropes. You had the rise of uh, nationalists like uh, Mussolini, and Hitler, and Franco, uh, and there were movements in England and France that almost you know, tip the balance there. Uh, but the end result of that kind of authoritarianism, of that kind of nationalism, is always bad. You know, and we're kind of follow, following that path right now. And you can see it in uh, Bolsonaro. Is that the guy in Brazil? Oh, yeah, I don't know his name. Yeah, and then also Hungary's gone kind of autocratic. And, uh, but there's this trend across the world, and it's really bad. It is really, really bad. And the thing is, you know... People talk about Nazis, and all of a sudden the discussion shuts down. And I, <laughs> I was doing this back in 19 or 2006, 28, where I realized you bring up Nazis, you know, you say that Bush is a Nazi or that Cheney's a Nazi, it closes off the conversation. But if you say, you know, he's a phalangist, people go, huh? What are you talking about? So I decided I'm not going to study Nazi history. I'll study the Spanish Civil War, when Spain went fascist. So I've read everything that is out there about Spain and the Civil War and fascism. And fascism won, you know, and Franco, I think he was there until 1975, until he died. Uh, but it was bad for Spain, really horrible. Um, and one of the countries in Europe right now which is resisting the right-wing trend is Spain, because they lived it. You know, they lived it for 40 years, and it was bad. And they don't want to go back there. Do you feel that your role, like, I, I have a lot of friends that are very, like, split and all over the board, mm -hmm. conservative, liberal. I kind of feel your role is so valuable right now because by using your art and the humor in it, I actually think you're kind of helping to educate these people so that everybody can kind of, you know, at least maybe see a different side of the point that maybe they wouldn't ever look at before. Well, yeah, I mean, there, there are certain things that a good cartoon is supposed to do. One is, probably the least important is to entertain, right? But I hope the cartoons are kind of entertaining. Uh, they're supposed to educate, they're supposed to inform, and they're supposed to persuade, you know, because I've got my point of view, and one of the points of the cartoon is to persuade you that the point I'm getting across is the correct one. Um, you know, and you're, well, you're welcome to go out and find other points of view, but this is my point of view. I get criticism all the time by people who say, well, you know, you should do more of the other side. And I go, well, that's, <laughs> you know, that, that's not me. Right. You know, you're not fair, you should do more of the other stuff. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
you have to put out one every day, Monday through Friday? Or Yeah, so it's one every day, and then Friday I do the cartoon that goes on Sunday, and I also do the In Your Own Words, which is that cartoon where I do the cartoon and somebody comes up with the caption for it. Um, and when I do the cartoon, I people say, well, do you have some idea of what the caption's going to be when you do it? No, I don't. I have no idea. And so I'm surprised when I get back the answers, and some of the stuff is really, really good. That's wonderful. Do you have uh, artists that you look up to? This is a question from the audience. We, we, asked, we asked social media what they wanted to ask you, and do you have artists that you look up to? So, yeah, a couple of my heroes were Jules Pfeiffer, who did cartoons for The Village Voice and Playboy and you know, a couple other big publications. But his stuff is very free and very expressive, and I, lo I loved that. Um, and Jules Pfeiffer, you know, he's, I think he's still around, you know, but he, he's one of the greats. The other one is uh, Pat Oliphant, and he came from Australia and originally went to the Denver Post and then went back to Washington, D.C., and did cartoons there for the Washington Star for decades. And then the star folded, and he was bigger than the star, you know, so he was still doing cartoons. And he, he only recently stopped doing cartoons in this past year, I think. Oh, wow. But he's the guy who did that cartoon, and they're always uh, horizontal. And they've got that little penguin character in the corner that has this kind of side comment. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so when Oliphant came to America, most of the cartoons were vertical, you know, up and down. And they were also very... Uh, not subtle. <laughs> you know, you'd have a hammer hitting a thumb, and the hammer would be communism, and the thumb would be hungry, but the hammer would be, you know, whatever, but it was not very subtle stuff. And Oliphant came here and changed the whole thing, changed everything. You know, most cartoons that you see nowadays that are single, single panel are horizontal um, and uh, a lot more expressive, a lot more fun. Uh, um, and he, he was a big influence. And his stuff was gorgeous. It was just wonderful. That's great. Mm -hmm. Pat, okay, so the media is changing yes. from, from when you began. Yeah. Like a lot more was print way back then. How has that impacted you? Uh, <laughs> or has it? Does having the, is it more internet-based now? And does yeah, that I mean, it's, it's more internet-based. And I mentioned that there were a lot of cartoonists working for papers, and now there are only 20. But there's still a lot of cartoonists out there, but they switched the platform. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, anybody can be a cartoonist on the Internet, right? Uh, and some of them are, are doing pretty well, but they have to really hustle. The thing about working for a newspaper is they take every health insurance, you've got a job, you've got a cubicle, they give you the equipment. If you do it on your own, you know, you're on your own. And you've got to hustle and you've got to get investors, you've got to get people to back you, you've got to get... Um, people to look at your stuff, uh, and it's harder. So you know, even though it's harder, there are still a lot of good cartoonists out there. One of the things that I really like uh, is the Nib, which collects a bunch of different cartoons, cartoonists, and they post them, I think, a new batch every week. Uh, and it's great stuff. And it's different from what I do. You know, my stuff is one panel. Uh, what they do is they do kind of more of a story you know, multi-panels. And there are lots of cartoonists out there who do this kind of societal com commentary. They don't know that they're political cartoonists, but that's exactly what they are. 
uh, that's kind of more popular with, um, you know, your set. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. That's really great. Do we want to take another question from the audience? Oh, yeah. What is one piece of work that uh, you're proud of that didn't turn out to be as popular, well-received as you uh, first, as you think it deserved to be? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, that, that probably happens often. Well, and the thing is, you can never tell. Yeah, until uh, it hits, yeah. Yeah, so rather than answer the question, I can answer <laughs> my question. Uh, the thing that you think is going to be great, you know, that you think this, this is just going to really rile them up, uh, you send it out there, and nothing happens. You don't hear anything. Then there's another cartoon that you do, and you think, no, nah, this is okay. And all of a sudden, it all lights up, you know, and people have comments and opinions, and they come back at you, and so you never know. Sometimes you know this is a really good cartoon and it goes out and it does get the response that you expect. But every single day that I do a cartoon, um, you know, it's kind of like sending your kid out to school. You know, you hope they do well. Um, but you don't know how it's going to be received. You just don't know. Right. Yeah, I like that. Sending your kid to school, that's a yeah. perfect. So I, I did probably the most popular viral cartoon I've ever done was about... Um, Malala, you know, the girl who was, right. it was the yeah. attempted assassination by the Taliban, and she survived. Mm -hmm. And the reason they wanted to kill her was because she was promoting education for women. Right. Um, she was 14 at the, at the time, I think. But she was starting to get a voice, and they they tried to kill her. Um, it's not like they missed, they, they seriously wounded her, but she recovered, and is still a voice for women's education. Went on to win the Nobel Prize a few years ago. Right. Um, you know, a profile in courage, you know, just wonderful. And I did a cartoon, let's see if I can recall what it was, but it was Malala with a book, and the book said knowledge. And what it said was, what religious fundamentalists fear more than American bombs, bullets, and tanks is a girl with a book. It's one of my favorite cartoons of yours. And it's probably, yeah, the most popular cartoon. So I sent it out there, and I thought, oh, this is pretty good. But... All of a sudden, it just, like they say, go, went viral and, you know, it just blew up. And then I started getting it back, and it was translated into Italian, uh, into French, into Russian, and into Arabic. We're talking about the Arabic script. You have no idea, you know, what they say. You kind of hope that they got it right. But it went around the world, and it was um, um, grat gratifying. Did you ever hear anything from her representatives or her? No. Uh, I mean, I thought about that, like... You know, maybe I should have contacted her, and, and uh, it would have been great to have her sign some copies. And then I go to benefits all the time, and they want my cartoons. So if I could have my cartoon with her signature on it and give that away uh, to raise funds for, you know, women's education, for example, um, uh, that would have been great. Well, I could still do it, maybe. Sure. Yeah. It's not too late. Not too late. My mom knows a lot of people, and if she's the only listener, you never know who she might know. Okay. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. You're ridiculous. Ask her. <laughs> You're ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. I love that. So this, this kind of goes into coming up with those every day. What, what situations are most creative? I, I know at the book signing, you talked about when you get an idea, you have to, you know, jot it down immediately. Tell, tell us a little bit about your process. Uh, so the process is, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a high wire act every single day. 
because yeah. you know I never know uh, if it's going to be any good or if I'll get the idea. I mean, it's always different. Every day is different, uh, but it's exciting. You know, I wake up in the morning and I am just so happy to be doing what I do. Uh, you know, I tell my kids, you know, I don't care what you do, but be happy in what you do. You know, enjoy your work. So I go into work. Well, sometimes you know I'll be in the shower and I'll get the idea. You know, it'll hit me. Sometimes I go into work and uh, I'll be pushing deadline, you know, two, three o'clock, and um, nothing. And then, you know, saved by the bell. <laughs> you can always do a bad cartoon, but you, you don't want to do that. You know, you want to be, uh, uh, you know, going for the fences all the time. Um, so there have only been a couple of times where I could not come up with anything. And we had to put a syndicated cartoon in my place. Uh, but usually I can come up with something. But like I say, it's always different. Uh, I've done cartoons where, you know, I've done the cartoon, and I'm about to push the send button. And then they go, oh, oh, this is much better. And then I have to do it all over again. But it's worth it if it's going to be better. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Okay, something that maybe you don't want to talk <clears throat> about. What are any of your failures? And the reason I'm asking this is I like to listen to a, a bunch of podcasts now, mm -hmm. but I want to learn from what we do wrong because I think there's lessons to be learned. Mm -hmm. Do you have any failures or any lessons that you've learned? Uh, well, there's a cartoon that I did early on that looking back on it, it was kind of racist. And uh, it was it was an education for me because... There were a couple old guys at the Tribune. I thought it was just great, right? But then France Davis from Ogden, um, you know, complained and came into the Tribune. And almost, I almost got fired over that, but it made me reflect and look at what I was doing. And, you know, my, my, some of my opinions have changed over the years. Uh, and it's been gradual. Some of it's, you know, society has changed. Uh, Gay marriage, you know, something that I would never would have considered when I was first starting out at the Tribune, but I came around to it because I know a lot of gay people. Hi. <laughs> 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 so I used to be um, fairly homophobic, right? And then there came a point in my life where I realized, oh, all of these friends that I think are so amazing and, and smart and, and amazing people they're gay, you know, and I just didn't realize it. And that turned my head around, you know, 180 degrees. I know these people, these are good people, these are wonderful people. Um, I had to readjust my thinking. I think it's amazing when we can essentially own our shit and realize that we're progressing, we're evolving, we're learning, right? When we can, I guess look at ourselves and say, like, we're progressing, like, we're learning, we're getting better, mm -hmm. and there's always room for that, right? I think that's mm -hmm. a pretty amazing thing that, yeah. that you can you can do that, so, yeah. And but, from a political standpoint, how valuable is that? Yeah. Like, a lot of people would say, you know, why have their views changed in the 20 years, and so-and-so has the same views, but I actually think you're right, Kat. Like it's so valuable that we can educate or evolve. It's, it's well, I mean, a good, a good example is the LDS Church just came out and said, we still oppose the ERA. 
I you know, saw after 40 that. years. <laughs> I saw that. And, and they take it as a point of pride that they still hold the same position that they did 40 years ago. It's killing me. I saw that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. And it's... Some evolve slower. Some evolve a little well, slow. But they like to say, you know, they're oh, eternal and everlasting, never changing. But I'm old enough to know that the LDS church has changed, right? And there's the whole blacks sure. in the priesthood. Uh, there's the whole changing the Book of Mormon, rewriting you know certain right. sections of the Book of Mormon, which back in my day would have been, you know, heretical. Right. But you know, institutions change, maybe slower than people do, but they do change. And it's bumming me out because with that being released, the chances of Utah getting on board with it, I mean, I don't know. It just. It's a huge bummer. Yeah, I mean, the church is the 100-pound gorilla in Utah. Right, and so that it's it's just bumming me out. <laughs> no, sorry. sorry. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. But I actually that. think that's what's so important about your role is you, mm-hmm. because, Pat, you reach across, like, all aisles and across. I mean, humor is really important in mm-hmm. educating people. Mm-hmm. Do you kind of feel that that is your purpose, is to kind of keep helping to educate even if it takes 40, 50, 60 years? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no no, no question. Is I want people to be informed. I want them to have more information. Um, and don't, you know, just be siloed in your, your box, you know, your bubble where you get your stuff. Uh, and, if, uh, you know, unfortunately, the whole media landscape is a bunch of bubbles. And the right-wing news media stuff is just an open sewer of lies and misinformation. Uh you know, I don't watch a lot of TV, but MSNBC, uh, CNN, there's something about the me- medium that doesn't allow for thoughtful examination of things. You know, they hit a story for a couple of minutes and then they move on. Uh, but, you know, CNN, MSNBC, uh, they do a better job than the right media, which is just propaganda. And I saw this happening back in oh, 1996 when Fox News first got started. And it, you know, fair and balanced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they're showing a different, I don't, I don't want to call it a viewpoint, um, but I grew up Republican. I grew up right wing. Um, and so I recognize this stuff. And you know, like we're talking about, change is hard. Uh, some people want to stay. You know, they don't want their beliefs challenged. They still want to believe in Santa Claus. Um, and Fox News kind of panders to that. Yeah. Do you see any positive trend? Or do you think it's all gloom and doom? I think I think things are going to get worse before they get better. But... Um, Which I, is scary. Yeah. <laughs> we, no, it is, it is. It is. Yeah. We have a good, good reason to be worried. But I think in the long run... Um, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I have faith that it's going to be better. Yeah, I think it's going to have to be burned down, honestly, for it to get, like, be rebuilt somehow. Well, you look at what's happening in Chile, in Lebanon, in uh, Hong Kong, in France. Um, People are taking to the streets because they're not happy with... And huge numbers. Oh, yeah. And huge numbers. Mm -hmm. And I, I would love to really, really see that you know, happening here, not just, you know, one or two days, but really see oh, yeah. an awakening. 
So I went to Korea two and a half years ago. <clears throat> and I was invited by the Korean Cartoonists Association. Uh, but they took me around the country and, and um, I met all these people. And I had this person who was my guide. A great, interesting person. Oh, here's the other thing about South Koreans is they look great. <laughs> this guy picks me up at the airport. You know, he looks like he's 40 years old. He's my age, you know. Uh, but he kicks me around and he, you know, shows me soul. And what are they eating? Because, I mean, I mean, I think I need that diet because, like, I, I want to look that good. <laughs> they they eat a lot of vegetables, that more, prof- more than we do. That professor was in his 50s, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. No, I mean, it's, it's Cho- kind chocolate of can do it, right? No. I mean, because I have a pretty shitty diet, but chocolate uh, it's gonna like totally yeah. help. Well, here, I mean, here's the thing: is they eat all that stuff. They eat meat, they eat chocolate, they eat all that stuff, but they do it in smaller portions than we do. You know, just a little Moderation. bit. Is they're happy with that? Uh, but I was being shown around by this guy, and he was talking about the um, oh, it's not quite a revolution, but their president was corrupt, hmm. President Park. And she was the daughter of a previous president who was kind of uh, a militarist, and he was a general who kind of took things over. But, but you know, she was president, and she got caught you know, being corrupt. And um, the system was set up so she couldn't be impeached. It was difficult to get her impeached. So the people of Seoul, the people of South Korea, took to the streets... And for, oh, I think it was about a month straight, five million people filled the streets of Seoul, South Korea wow. every evening. And they all had candles, and they were all demanding the impeachment of President Park. Wow. And, um, you know, finally the Congress came through and they impeached her. So here you have a president of a nation who got impeached and was tried and convicted and tossed in prison. And then they go after the people who were part of the corruption problem. They went after the head of, I want to say Sanyo, which is the one in South Korea, but it's the biggest electronic corporation in the world. They went after the head of that, found him guilty and convicted him, tossed him in jail. Would that ever happen in America? Probably not, (laughs) because people don't like to be inconvenienced, and majority of people's lives are not being affected by anything. And so they're not doing anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Do you know I, what I mean? They, 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 they're comfortable still. And what's so stupid is they are being impacted. Like I look at... That's what they don't realize. A chocolate yeah. shop. And, you know, the tariffs. And what, what right. has increased. You know, any canned good. Any... Right. Like the different things that are impacting everyday people. I'm just one shop. But, like, everybody's getting impacted. They're just right. not realizing They just don't it. realize it. That's the thing. They don't realize it. And they still feel comfortable, relatively comfortable. And That's so, why we need Pat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is to keep helping. Okay, but there's something about the American character that we do tend to oh, take it. You know, we just tend to take it. Yeah. Um, so the, I'll give you the example of South Korea, right? And they explained to me that South Koreans really are, uh, they just won't sit down and take it. Um, they told me the story of the South Korean airline and, you know, these people were being inconvenienced and the they canceled their flight or something like that. And the passengers were not having it, right? Mm. And so they stormed the the booth, the ticket office, and <laughs> you know, created a ruckus. And these are people in their 40s, 50s, and 60s doing this. These aren't young kids. Wow. Um, and it was in France. Oh, 
two, three years ago, when Air France um, decided that they had to you know, cut positions and cut pay, and the French people stormed the offices of Air France mm -hmm. and tore the clothes off of these people. And so corporations should fear the American people. They don't. Uh -uh. Mm -hmm. um, but there should be this healthy balance of, you know, people might not be happy, and that could lead to really bad stuff. But in America, uh, they go, oh, they'll take it. We'll do this. We're going to raise the prices on insulin, you know, a thousand percent. You know what? They'll take it. Yeah. They'll just, because they won't, they, they don't fight back. Yeah. They really don't. We really don't. Yeah. But you are, through your art. Well, I want more people to be doing <laughs> the fighting back. Sure. But I can't, that's also what I think you do with a lot of your art is just kind of, it, it does fight back. And trying to. And it is just one person at a time. But actually, the one person can influence. Trying to. I feel like I have like a team of people, though. I mean, with a lot of my art, I mean, the one I had over 120 people show up that day when we did the Go Home Trump series. And when I do a lot of my series, it's it's a lot of people involved, you know. Um, you know, anywhere from 50 to 60 people a day. So I feel like there's a lot of people using their bodies, you know, lending their bodies and voices with my art. It's not just me, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm thankful for that. So maybe we're going to reach critical mass and people all of a sudden, you know, put down the Game Boy. We don't do Game Boys anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> we do something. I don't know what we do. It's something, but yeah. <laughs> put down the Game Nintendo console. Switch. <laughs> Nintendo <laughs> Switch. Minecraft. And, you know, go out in the streets and, and protest. Yeah. Uh, speaking of working with um, people, you've done a few different collaborations uh, mm -hmm. throughout the years. Um, when we, at the book signing, Cat uh, brought her Kama Sutra that you oh, worked yeah. on with... Uh, Sister Dottie, what have been some of your uh, favorite collaborations? Oh, I, I did <laughs> the uh, Norman the Nephite series with Deseret Book. I remember that was... <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of, kind of a weird thing for me to be doing, but it's when um, uh, Find Waldo was a big deal, right? Right. You yeah. know, Find Waldo. And now it just kind of exploded. And Desiree Book decided they wanted to do something like that, but for Mormons. And so they came to me and they explained what they wanted, but they said they wanted me to do a book called Find the Bishop. And I said, you know, nobody wants to find the bishop. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I thought, so I thought about it and I go, oh, you know, find the Nephite. Because Nephites, nobody's ever really seen one. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of leeway. They're kind of a m magical creature. Mm -hmm. Magical. I mean, uh, so I did Norman the Nephite. You know, mm -hmm. find the Nephite. Mm -hmm. And I could draw him any way he wanted because what does a Nephite look like? Right. <laughs> he looks like Norman. <laughs> <laughs> so I did, you know, find the Nephite. And then he did a couple of others um, after that. There's Larry the Lamanite. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Somebody else that I did. Uh, but it was, it was, it was fun. It was. Um, uh, it wasn't. You know, there was no snark involved at all. It was. It was just pure fun, mm -hmm. and I could go and you know. Uh, rely on my Mormon background to you know pull up all this stuff and and uh, 
get it out there on the page. And, it, you know, you look back on the stuff and it's still pretty good. It's still fun. That's fun. Mm-hmm. So that was a collaboration with the church. And they never really asked me about my activity level. <laughs> it was kind of like, don't ask, don't tell. Sure. Surely they, they knew, though. But they were, they were kind of stuck because they wanted the book. And there was nobody out there who could draw like that. So that's how I got the gig. <laughs> that's funny. Mm-hmm. And recently you did a big mural for Squatter's 30th anniversary. Yeah, uh-huh. A big lady lib beer tea. <laughs> Give uh-huh. us some background about that. Oh, so um, a couple years ago I started thinking, you know, it'd be fun to do a mural, you know, in Salt Lake City. And it's come becoming a big thing. And at some party I threw it out there. And it happened to be the brother of the guy who was running squatters. And so they contacted me later and said, the space they originally planned was above the squatters building, which is massive. Nope, we're not going to edit any of this. It's all in. But it was, it was above, if you go to squatters, look at the building behind it, and it's just this huge space. And they said, this is yours if you want it. Did you know that actually used to be a chocolate company? It was McDonald's Chocolate Company way back when. Was it really? Yeah. So that's what that space used to be. <laughs> okay. So I designed this uh, Lady Liberty, and um, and it was the the French uh, Liberty, you know, like Liberty storming Liberty. the barricades, and she's got that hat on, which is called a Phrygian cap, and. Uh, so Liberty in France has got lots of different variations. We've got one of them in the harbor in New York, you know, Lady Liberty, and she's got the crown with the, you know, um, there's supposed to be um, rays of light, you know, coming off of her. But there were also different versions. And there was one called the Marianne, who had the Phrygian cap, you know, when storming the barricades. And the um, slogan was, Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité. Liberty, um, Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité. Uh, liberty, Equality, and Brotherhood. Mm. How would you translate that without being gender specific? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Personhood. Personhood, maybe? Personhood. Okay. Liberté, Egalité, Fraternité. And then she's holding this beer sign, and it said, Fermenté. but it was massive it was huge and they were in negotiations with the people who live in the building and they were all excited about it Uh, but then they've got to do some retrofitting to make it earthquake proof which meant kind of covering up that entire wall so it would have been there for a little bit and then it would have covered up and then they had they said we can't do that so they gave me this other part of the building which is on the east side of the squatters, the actual squatters building. Yeah. And so I came up with a different design, but still, you know, the French Liberty Lady, and she's got the cap, uh, but she, instead of kind of flying through the air and being horizontal, she's vertical and standing, and she's got this pencil, and the pencil says, free speech, free press. And so I came up with this design, and then they gave me the space, and I'm a computer, I'm trying to superimpose it on the building to make it work. But this window keeps getting in the way. It's just, you know, how do you work around that window and what do I do? And then I thought, oh, I can use that. 
So what I did is I put the design of the Lady Liberty holding a torch, and the torch part, the fire part, is the window. And we've got a, we've got a stained glass window. It's beautiful. And so I incorporated the window into the whole design. If you go down there at night, in the evening, you can see that it's backlit, and she's holding this blazing torch. And it really turned out really well. It did. It's beautiful. And that day was so much fun. We oh, had yeah. when, so when, much fun that day. When they dedicated it, they had me take a bottle of beer, you know, special uh, beer for that occasion, and I got to smash it against the building, and it was fun. And you can order that beer at Swatters. It's 13%. It's like wine. Yeah, it's a strong <laughs> beer. It is a strong beer. It's a t- double bock that has been aged in rum casks for yeah. a year. Yeah, it's a mm-hmm. strong beer. I hear it's very delicious. Oh, it is. It is good. Yeah. That's fun. Mm-hmm. So this year has been a lot of... It's been your year. It's been a busy year, yeah. It's been your year. Mm-hmm. No, but you still, this is all a letdown from the time thing. So, I, mean, <laughs> I don't care how amazing it's been. Tell it's us about peaking early. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Where do you see yourself, you know, in the future? In the next 40 years? <laughs> yeah, you can do it. So, hit my 40th uh, uh, performance at the, the Rose Wagner... Uh, I let I tipped my hand of what's going to happen. Is I'm going to stick around for? I mean, I'll be doing this as long as I enjoy it, and as long as I realize that I haven't lost it. And the thing about cartoonists, and you can see it with Charles Schultz and other people, is that they stayed on too long, right? And that's why Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes, why he quit after a certain point, because, um, and he quit, you know, when he was winning, and the stuff is still great. Uh, but cartoonists tend to hang on to a little bit too long. You can see it's an older cartoonist. And so uh, I'm relying on my friends to tell me when, you know, Pat, you've lost a step. You should, <laughs> you should really back off. But my ambition is to keep doing this until my grandson, who's now eight months old, yeah, can take over. Months, yeah. yeah. Uli. Mm-hmm. Ulysses. So I think I'm good for another 20 years. Yeah. Speaking of when you were younger, did you have an adult that influenced you? You know, my dad was um, a pretty powerful influence. Uh, in our household, we had the TV on, but it was always on the, the news. And it was not on all the time. You know, we'd watch the news and then we'd turn it off. Uh, sometimes it could make them watch Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> but usually it's off. I mean, my dad, oh, he just hated Gilgan's Island. and He hated... <laughs> But he would always read. You know, we'd watch the news, and then he would pick up a book, and he'd be reading. Every time I would see my father, he'd usually have a book in his hand and, uh, or a newspaper. And so that's how he kind of picked up this whole political thing by osmosis. And I remember asking about cartoons, you know, what does this mean, what does that mean? And he was a little annoyed. Oh, jeez. You know, but he explained it to me, and that's how I learned politics. That's how I learned uh, how things worked. And, you know, cartoons are really good that way because they do make you think critically. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Dad was, and Dad was he was a straight shooter. He was honest. He was a Republican, but that was back in the day when Republicans could be. You could have progressive liberal Republicans. It was a different world back then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I like it. We need to get back to that. Mm-hmm. Oh well, we do at least a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, th- things they talk about being polarized, they really are so polarized. incredibly polarized. It's a different world now. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, Dylan, I think it's time for bonus questions. I, I think so, too. Yeah, because I'm looking over mine, and I think we've got them all. So the first bonus question is, what does creativity mean to you? Oh, man. I don't know, cat. <laughs> creativity, that's a hard one, right? What oh, yeah. does creativity mean? Well, like, like one of the questions Ooh. that cartoonists always get that we hate the most is, where do you get your ideas? In, yeah, your inspiration. Uh-huh. <laughs> and was it Charles Schultz or... There was some very famous cartoonist who printed up these cards. And he said, this is where he... Somebody would ask the question, he would give them the card. And he'd say, I go out into the Sonoran Desert, and there's this magical bird. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just like to make up shit. That that tells me what to do, and that's where I get my ideas. (laughs) (laughs) What does creativity mean Well, I don't know. You know, like I say, every day is a high wire rack, and sometimes it's really tough, and then they have to kind of step away. Taking a walk helps a lot. You know, if you feel kind of stuck, and they, I do that all the time, and it's like writer's block. Um, and the best thing to do is get up and go away and do something else, you know, and then come back to it. Um, that's the best I've got. Yeah, for me, I, and I guess I pull it always from different sources. Sometimes it's anger, sometimes it's happiness, sometimes it's sadness, you know. Yeah. It's all different, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't even know. It's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I watch TED Talks. They seem to center me. You know, I find one that kind of, that I like or just something new that sounds interesting. They, they seem to center me. Mm-hmm. To oh, you know, and always, always be taking in new information. Yeah. That's the thing is being exposed to new stuff. Because if you don't know anything new, you can't reflect. Well, not, not only that, the more stuff that you uh, have experienced, the more stuff that you know, the more material you have to use to work with. Uh, you know, I grew up, again, watching news and reading a lot, reading a tremendous amount. Uh, and I'm interested in history and biography. And, and so the more you know, you know, it's like having more fodder that you can use. Well, and I try to also do things every <clears throat> few months that make me uncomfortable. And I, 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 I hate I, that. I know, but I try uh-huh. Uh-huh. to do something that makes me uncomfortable outside of my comfort zone, you know? And I, I think we get too complacent and too comfortable in life, you know? Oh, we do. And so I try to do things that if I want to say no to something, I'm like, mm, why am I wanting, why am I not wanting to do that, you know? And so. You see, that's courage. Yeah. That's real courage. Let's go skydive. Ah, see, that makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> so I probably should do it, right? should do that. Yeah. I have this podcast. I'm an introvert. Yeah, see, that's good. <laughs> uh, to expand on your magical bird in the desert, um, another magical type creature, who's your favorite Muppet and why? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go back to the early, early, early days when Jim Henson was doing the stuff on the Ed Sullivan show. And again, it was one of the very few shows, entertainment shows that we were allowed to watch. Uh, but I remember that if the Muppets were on, you know, we would be there because it was so ingenious and so creative and so new and so different. So instead of a character, I'll say the early Muppets, you know, are the things that I remember the most. And then lastly, in the movie of your life, who would you like to play you? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm going to have to think about this for a minute. Um, well, not Mel Gibson. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, th- I think we're unanimous about that. Yeah. Not Jeff Bridges. <laughs> uh, oh, he's older than I am. Jeff Bridges? It's, a, it's his birthday today. Is it really? I, I'm pretty sure How it's his birthday today. How old is Jeff Bridges? 70? Oh. 72? Am I thinking of him like 20 years ago? Probably. Probably. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeff Bridges 20 years ago. Because <laughs> yeah, you're a big Lebowski fan, right? You, oh, yeah, yeah. You dress up for dude. as Halloween and... I have a picture of Pat dressed up as the dude. Well, yeah, and that was... Um, from The Last Supper. Well, that's right. Like prior that's to what, us shooting. What, what, what year was that? Uh, four years ago. Four? That's all? Four, that's it. Wow. I mean, oh. just past four. Just past four. So... We're going on five. I mean, I used to have long hair, and if I put my the glasses on... And you had the sweater. I had, this, I had the whole outfit. He had the whole outfit. <laughs> We're going it, on and five. It, and it really was kind of uncanny. Mm-hmm. It was weird. It was wild. Um, Who should play you? It should be him. should be Pat. You should play yourself. Well, Shia LaBeouf, just because Kate <laughs> loves Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> Does she really? Oh, yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> Kate so is I'll, his I'll girlfriend. Go, I'll go with Kate, Shia LaBeouf. Kate's his girlfriend. That's <laughs> cool. Oh, that's hilarious. Shia. Shia. I don't know. Shia Shia, Shia LaBeouf. I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. (laughs) I'm not that hip. I'm not very hip either. Kate's way more hip than I am. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She's a nerd. Yeah, she's she's cool. Mm -hmm. She's way cool. She got me, for my last birthday, she got me on vinyl the 20th anniversary of Rage Against the Machine on vinyl. His girlfriend, so hip. So hip, <laughs> like she's so cool. Oh, I mean, she can do. I need anything. to learn how to play poker. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the power meetings. So cool. <laughs> so I cannot sing, you know, to save my life. But she sings. Her family sings, and and she'll do Rage Against the Machine with me karaoke. <laughs> oh yeah, and she's she's good, right? She's oh, so wow. good. She's so good. I, and she's just so sweet and just darling. And then she'll bust out Rage Against the Machine with me. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. She's very cool. I would love to see that. <laughs> it's, she's fun. She's really fun. So All you've right. been doing this 40 years. You released a book. That, yeah. Um, that people can get at bookstores around town. Um, give us kind of like a quick synopsis and where they can get it. Okay, so the, 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 the book is 100 pages, and I was originally going to do it chronologically, you know, so one page for each year, I don't know, something like that. And then I tried to pull it together that way. It was not working, and I realized there are certain themes that kept them recurring. And so I've arranged it thematically. You know, the dates are still there, and you can still see when I did it. Uh, but there are still things that I kept, I mean, early on I, I hit these things and I keep on coming back to them. Um, for example, Utah lands and land policies. Um, yeah, those come up all the time still. Still. Yes. I mean, well, especially now with how uh, Utah legislature is trying to hand it over to their donor, rich donor buddies so that they can exploit it. Right? Yeah. But they're public lands. They are our land. They belong to us. You know, if anybody should get the benefit, it's us. Yeah. And nobody asked me if we want to give it to uh, Kennecott. Nobody asked me if they want to give it to coal companies. Um, no, these are our lands. And yeah, so anyway, <laughs> that stuff has been going on forever. And back in the day when I first started, it was called the Sagebrush, Sagebrush Rebellion. Yeah. And now it's something else, but it's still the same people 
trying to exploit our lands for their benefit. Uh, so I, I, I did the book, I structured the book on themes thematically. Um, and it turned out really well. You know, I've gotten lots of response to the book, and it's great. they say it's a really good book. And it's a great Christmas gift. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give several away for oh, Christmas. Yeah. Cool. Where can people purchase? Okay, so um, it's not being distributed nationally, but you can go to uh, Willer's Book Works, and I'll be doing a signing there on Friday the 13th. Uh, you can go to King's English, of course, uh, and I'll be there this Friday for their Christmas party. And then there's Ken Sanders. And, you know, Ken Sanders' uh, uh, rare books is, if you haven't been there, it's an experience. It's a discovery. Have you guys been there? I've been there. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I went there for the book signing. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And then December 21st, you're going to be at... Oh, we're roping him into the chocolate the shop. Hatches okay, Family so Chocolates. Saturday the 21st mm -hmm. at 12 o'clock, I'll be at Hatches Family Chocolates. Pat's going to wake me up book. early so that I'll be there early <laughs> in the day that day. <laughs> yeah. Chocolate and books. I like chocolate it. Chocolate and books, yeah. But it's a good read. It's a perfect bathroom book, right? It is. You can pick it up at any point. Put I can down. attest to this. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's gotten great reviews, you know, people have really liked it, and which is nice to know because they threw it together, I didn't throw it together, I put it together in a very short frame of time, but it's kind of like Handel's Messiah, you know, where he <laughs> did it all in six weeks or whatever, <laughs> but it seems to work. But I like that there's some backstory, I like the commentary with each piece, I, I mean, it's just, it's a great book. And I've had 40 years of experience to put into that, so, yeah. Yeah, it's a great book. And it's a good price, it's like... 20, like 20 bucks? Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I had to, I, I intentionally printed it in the U.S. locally uh, because I wanted to do it locally. I'm not putting it on Amazon because, oh, man, they're just such crooks. You know, <laughs> they have you by the short hairs if you do Amazon. So it's not on Amazon, but uh, these bookstores, Weller's, um, Ken Sanders, King's English, they all have websites. So you can still order them online you know, if you go to their websites. Um, uh, so yeah the, the price reflects the fact that I printed it locally that I'm doing it um, small batch <laughs> yeah it's very artesian very artesian that's what I'm looking for <laughs> <It's very artesian. laughs> I love it Pat thank you oh thanks for having me yeah, this has been a lot of fun on.